Yo, what's going down, people? Ah, it's Wednesday, so that means another episode of Echoes from the Goddamn Void. Yup, yup. Man, so, hey, it's still hot as a motherfucker, but we have had some days of rain and a little bit of coolness, so that definitely, definitely helps. And... Yo, shit just seems to be moving in the right direction, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, just been seeing this young lady and that's going well. Having a lot of fun on that end. Starting to have a bit more progress with agencies and stuff like that. So, hey, every, everything's kind of matching up so we will see how it all progresses you know what i mean um and then some more interesting shit can start getting put into place which will be good um yo i i saw this piece on um the bbc website talking about um arguments on holiday it was just like Oh, with these simple hacks, you can stop holiday arguments. And you read the piece and it's just like, no, 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 no. Because, you know, at its core, right, it it doesn't just factor in that sometimes people are just assholes and just will not get on. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, look, when you're in a house, you can avoid people. You don't have to spend all the time with them. But when you go on a holiday with someone or family or a group, you are stuck with those fuckers for that duration. It's hard to just disappear and get lost. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's usually the main reason. Because in small doses, those people are fine But when you have to be confined with them for hours upon end, yeah, that's when it ain't working. It ain't working and you need a fast out. So it's not, maybe we should have had more sleep before the holiday. No, it's not that. It's not that. It's not, oh, because the time you have a holiday, you're already emotionally burnt out. Nope. It's not that. You know, it's like, oh, people worrying about money. No, no, no. It's, it's people at their core can be assholes. That's 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 it at its core. Yeah, there can be other reasons, right? Yes, obviously. You know what I mean? There's sometimes there's other things that start arguments. But you choose to have those arguments. You know what I mean? So, hey, you can try and hack all you want. But sometimes, yeah, people are just shitty. You know what I mean? I think that's what we need to consider, people. But, um, yeah, let's get on with today's episode 
there's a lot happening, man. So we're covering a lot of things. So let's get with it. So there's a big story. Actually, I say there's a big story. I don't know how big this story is. Yeah, that's probably a little hyperbole there. Um, there's a story <laughs> that I saw about um a US school threatening threatening like families of taking their kids into foster care. Kinda crazy. So um I I believe it's Wyoming Wyoming Valley West School District. Uh, yeah, they were owed $22,000 of unpaid, um, school dinner debt, um, which is kind of, yeah, it's a lot of friggin' money, <laughs> you know what I mean, there's no getting away from that, that's a lot of money, so, um, yeah, so, they supposedly they'd sent out a thousand letters to families who owed money for their children's school lunches um and some people owed as much as 400 400 dollars which you know what I mean that is a lot of money you can't deny that i think one of the issues is um in their letter it said um, that if you are taken to dependency court, the result may be your child being removed from your home and placed in foster care. Which, um, yeah, it's a, it's. A, I can see what they were trying to do. They're trying to, you know what I mean, scare the parents to be like, listen. Stop being fuckwits and pay the money. Probably should have, you know what I mean, worded it a lot differently. You know, yeah, it wasn't the best approach. But I guess, you know what I mean, you're owed all of this money and you know, hey, listen, we all know that school funding isn't the best. So I can see the school is just like, Yo, we need the fucking money. What's going on? Um, now they these letters went out, and yeah, obviously people were pissed. But then a lot of people in the local community offered to um help pay this debt, and a local CEO of a coffee company offered to pay it all. The school initially refused, but they then accepted. So, no more debt. No more debt, which is, you know, which is good. Which is good. I think the problem is, though, um, I think if the families had probably approached the school. I think this is the problem, right? The yeah, 400 is getting wrapped up in debt and no one is coming and going, "Listen, we we got a we got some trouble. What we like can we work something out?" You know, because I think po- possibly because you know, you don't know. I don't know. 
maybe if some of these people had come to the school and said, listen, we've got a little trouble. Is there anything we can work out here? You know what I mean? Because, yo, like, money's tight at the moment, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. So I think it could be that. I think that could have been... Because I don't think you're sending out a letter like that if you're kind of in communications with people and you're working shit out, right? You know what I mean? It, it, it kind of... you. The impression is that everyone's just trying to hide and just think, yeah, I'm not paying this money, which is fucked up. And I think that's the, see, that's the thing. Like, yes, the school shouldn't have probably worded their letters the way they worded their letters. But also, hey, you have to own up to debt. Because that ain't a good message that you're sending to your kids, right? That, yeah, just fuck it. You know what I mean? If we just avoid these people, we don't have to pay. So, yeah, there's a lot of... There's messages. There's definitely messages and um, lessons to be learned in this whole situation. I have to say, though, right? So, at the end of this article, they're saying there's a, a, a school in the Rhode Island area had a policy where if, you know, families owed a lot of money on school meals, that the kids would just be getting a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But they reversed that. But, listen, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is better than nothing. You know? And... Everyone always says how tasty it is. So, hey, I don't don't really see... That's not harmful to me. To me, that's... There's nothing wrong with that. You're like, listen, we don't always have loads of options, right? And if you've got limited money, you're only buying certain things anyway. So... It's, I, I can't imagine that these kids are eating far gras and pheasant several times a week. So, hey, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with po- probably some fruit and shit, that's a decent lunch. That's still a decent lunch, and it's a lunch. So, hey, I, I don't feel there's anything wrong with that, you know? Like, oftentimes, I just had a base. I took basic sandwiches to school sometimes. You know what I mean? It is what it is, man. It is what it is. But the thing is, listen, like, we can't, you can't expect shit. And if you, if, if you've worked out a deal, if you've got lunch, you've got to pay for that. Yeah? That needs to be covered. On the flip side, you can't threaten to take people into foster care because that's kind of fucked up too. So yeah, I think both parties are in the wrong. Both parties are definitely in the wrong, but something needs to be worked out because hey, people, people should be able to eat. People should be able to eat, and 
definitely people can't feel shame at school because kids are fucking vicious man kids are vicious and they will rinse those kids getting free lunches so yeah I, I think something needs to be worked out a new system a new way because hey school's brutal enough right but yeah I, I, I think you can't be completely you can't completely go crazy at the school because they're just trying to just trying to do what they're doing you know what I mean but it's definitely it's fucked up man it's a fucked up situation and hey this might be the states but this shit's happening everywhere you know i know there's a similar shit in the uk too so um yeah i think everyone needs to look at this uh, situations like this and work out better ways going forward <laughs> So I've, I think I've been seeing a lot about um, mental health recently and especially mental health in men, you know, um, because it's, you know, it's a known thing that I think men don't talk about their issues as much as women are more likely to. And I this is equated to the old man up expression i do feel though that this expression is something it's definitely something that was there in the 80s you know that was i remember as a kid for sure like if anything happened like if you fell over it's like ah oh, you know what ah oh, don't cry you're fine just go about it but if a girl falls over it's treated a completely different way you know like girls could go to um like the tutor's office in university with tears in her eyes and get extensions a guy can go and go with the same he could have the same story but then just not crying right that are oh, I've, I've got bogged down with work blah 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 and they're just denied denied so it's this different perception with men and women which then i think it falls it like it makes people be quiet and just not talk about shit but that was then i have to say i have to definitely say things are definitely different now there's definitely more about just people talking in general. And there's like a, articles all over the place, you know, men talking about mental health and stuff like that. And um, I think a big thing also, you're having more like guys in, um, I guess, the public realm talking. You know, so I know... There's a lot of UFC fighters that have spoken about depression. Boxers who have talked about depression. I mean, um, Tyson Fury, like, talked extensively about the depression that he faced. And that was after winning the title. So, he had it after winning the title. 
and then he had it again when he wasn't fighting and he put on a lot of weight and yo he's talked about that a lot and i think talking about it on platforms like the joe rogan experience was is big because it's getting out to a lot of people man the reach and things like that is ridiculous and so this you're seeing more people more guys talking about this and making it normal so i i you know i definitely think there's there's a different kind of vibe to all of this now but i think it's just trying to like a big issue is trying to find these services right trying to find the services and then once you've found the service to um for it to be approachable and just not making you jump through all these hoops and just you know what i mean just being an issue just to try and break through to all of that and I, so i think that's a big thing because you know it's just like where do you look you know what I mean? like if you don't go say to your local gp if you don't go to your GP and ask for help there, where else do you look? That's one of the big things. Now, like, this stuff should be, like, it should be an easy, that should be an easy question, an easy answer, even. You know, well, obviously, you just go there, and there's information, you know, oh, in in the local supermarket, they've got all that information on a board. You know what I mean? Or like, it, it should be like that. So, if you are facing difficulties, it's not this big struggle to find the help. Automatically, you can think, okay, I know there's help there. So that's one barrier out the way. Then it's just a matter of you contacting them. So yeah, then it's like there should be many different ways of contact, making the initial contact. So it might be an email, it might be a phone call, could be a tweet, you know what I mean, a private message. There, there should be many different ways to make initial contact. So they're all things that will help. They would definitely help. But, you know, I think one thing is, like, people get it into their head that, oh, this helped this one person, so this is the way. Like, I, the, the article I read is just, like, they're saying that the, the charity Movember do a running thing, Mo Running. Yeah, great, great name, guys. Do Mo Running where people, guys can run, and as they're running, they can talk about their mental health issues with each other, firstly, not everyone wants to talk when they're running, you know what I mean, so, yeah, think about that, right, not everyone wants to talk when they're running, so, that might be helpful for a few people, but it can't be the be-all and end-all of your um, initiatives. There's got to be other things. It can't just be, oh, this helps someone, so let's just do loads of running events. No. They're like, 
you need to realize that hey there needs to be an entry mode for a multiple types of person so like if it's d and d d you know what i mean boom have a d and d where where people could talk about this shit how you know just and the event doesn't even have to be about mental health but just maybe just look the thing is distribute information and give training to people who run all manner of different clubs and stuff so then if if someone's in that environment and wants to talk or if you notice something you can go approach someone and be hey listen I, I like I heard what you said, man, and hey, I've been through a similar shit. So hey, I just wanted to say if you want to talk, I'm here for you. You know, but yeah, it, it should be something that people have access to in many different environments. It can't just be one thing. Because you know, it's not one size fits all with this shit. But yeah, people don't want to talk. Because it's just like, I guess, you know, I think one of the things is you don't want to talk to friends because it's like, A, you don't want to burden them. B, it's like if you talk with someone about this shit, it it can't be a one-time situation, you know. And you, I think the assumption is like if you talk to a friend once about this thing... Now the pressure is to talk regularly about this thing. So, and you know your friends go out all the time. So what if they're not around when you need to talk? So that's a big thing. So I think it's it's having these things that are available for people to talk at times that just work for them. Because there's shit that's, I remember working at the NHS, so there's, there was like this one service, and it was open, like 9 till 5, yeah, that's fine, if you're available 9 till 5, but what if you're not, you know what I mean, what if you're working, if you're at school, if you're at uni, like, you're just not available 9 to 5, there needs to be things that people can access 24-7, you know, now, listen, I don't think everyone is expecting, like, you know, people to be there just waiting, like, yes, the access might be a bit more limited, but if you can at least leave a message and someone gets back to you within a certain time frame, that would be big, you know, but there just needs to be these options. It can't just be a one thing situation. And we can't just be like, oh, it's just, you know, everyone says this one thing and so it stops people from... No, it's not that. It's not that. Because that's definitely changing. But listen, you have to think... How is all this stuff depicted in TV and film and, and just stuff like that? But how is it also approached at school? You know, 
because that's one of your first one of your first windows into how you're going to be perceived by your your peers your stakeholders you know the community that's one of the big things so if you try and talk to a teacher and you're just brushed off yeah that's going to impact you so it is not like oh this is just an ongoing thing it it, it it, it's something that bleeds across many different formats, many different medias, many different environments. So we need to look at everything. Not just blame one thing. We need to look at every single thing and try and address it. Trying to make it a barrier-free situation that just people can talk. But instead of just... Because look, it's still an issue with women. It, it it's still an issue with transgender. It's an issue with everyone. So hey, if you, I think it when you're making campaigns that are aimed at just one person, one gender, that can often make people not want to do it because they they feel embarrassed, you know, because it's just at them. So just address everyone. Just address everyone and talk about the issue like that. Because, hey, the message will get through. When people see it, they're not going to think, oh, that's just for women. Oh, that's just for trans. Oh, that's just for men. No, they'll go, okay, there's this service. Great. I'm glad I know that. You know? So I think that's the approach we should do. Just take down these barriers and just speak to everyone. Make sure everyone is aware. And by doing that, yeah, I think that will make a big difference. You know? I definitely feel that will make a big difference. Okay, so there's a lot of, um, I think, controversy right now about the uh, a boy that was stabbed in the heart. In Manchester and died was a, a, a young 17 year old called Yusuf Maki um, and initially uh, someone said that a guy did it and then he drove off in a van so the police were trying to find someone in a van and this other description then turns out that this this boy known as boy A he lied about it all. But he then said that he stabbed Yusuf through self-defense. So he he ended up, he wasn't convicted of murder or manslaughter. But he was convicted of preventing the course of justice and possession of a knife. Which is a bit like, yeah. I don't know. It's it's an odd one, right? Because I, it, it, yeah, like self-defense. Because, I, yeah, I don't know if you're going straight for the heart with self-defense. You know what I mean? And I, it doesn't mention any cuts on the boy himself, like defensive cuts or anything like that. It's an odd situation. 
You know what I mean? But I don't have all the facts. So, hey, I'm not talking on that. But what happened was... So, after, you know, the court case and everything like that, a video then surfaced of him in the toilets of the court filming himself making stabbing motions. So, he's listening to music and filming himself making stabbing motions. And then this video is sent to the family... Of the murdered boy. Which is all just weird. It's all weird. Now, what's happening is... So, the police are looking into the matter... To see um, if this falls under the um, Malicious Communications Act. You know? So, they say, is it an offence? Was an offence committed... In recording this video and sending it to the grieving family, which you know, I, mean, I, I think you could pretty much agree, yeah, it's a fucked up thing to do. But I think something that isn't mentioned, which I think really should be taken into consideration, I think you have to look at this kid's mental stability because, firstly, right. Who's filming themselves making stabbing motions while in court being charged with potentially murdering a kid? You know what I mean? So, firstly, yeah, who's videoing that? And if you are videoing that, who are you sending that video to? You know what I mean? So, it is... Yeah, it's just a weird thing. So you have to think the person that's doing this isn't completely stable. You know, they, they, they don't. I don't think they're with. They've got all their faculties with them because that whole situation extremely problematic. Because I think if if you're facing that sort of charge. And you're saying you didn't do it. You'd be. Fucking bricking it. You'd be bricking it. You'd be worried as hell. Like oh I don't want to catch this case. So you're not doing anything crazy. To kind of make people think. Oh yeah actually. I, I think this motherfucker probably did do something. You know what I mean. So. But no one's talking about this. Which I find weird. Yeah, because it's disturbing that the video got sent to the family. I definitely agree that. That's an issue. But, yo, the person ain't this boy A. Yeah, there's problems there. There's a lot of problems. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not. Something that people would normally do. So I I think like this kid, he needs to be um he needs to be talked to. He needs to go for some sort of counselling. Because yes, like so he's being detained 
for ain't like eight months. And he, he he got like um yeah detention for eight months, right? And um eight months it's not really a long time if you think about if you break that shit down. Eight months is not a long time. Yeah. It's so like I don't think he will probably learn anything from that experience. But he does need to see someone about this whole situation. Because I think I think they were kind of all friends. Because there's another boy has got four months for um possession of a knife. Right, so he got former, and so supposedly I think all three teenagers hung out together. They were friends, and they kind of pretended to be gangsters and stupidness like that, which I think all th- this whole incident came from. So they were probably fucking around, and yeah, one ended up dead. But like, yo, these kids need to see help. They need help now because, hey, detain them, yeah. But unless you're addressing this issue now, yo, just more shit's going to happen down the line. You know, if we're talking about mental health, yeah, this feeds into it. This feeds into it and these kids need help. Because, like, in the article that I read, they, they make a big thing about the music playing in the video. So he's listening to drill, to rap. Yeah, music doesn't make you stab people. You know what I mean? Just because they're talking about violence in the in the music, that doesn't in itself make you go stab someone. You know what I mean? Because if that was a case, we'd have a whole lot more crime. So it's not the music. But there are issues with these kids. So that needs to get addressed. And it's not mentioned. And I find that very worrying. Very worrying indeed. Because, like, if you're good... But just think, right? If you stabbed your friend... So that's going to be fucking you up. Right? That's going to be on your mind. Now, the fact that then you're making a video pretending to stab shit. And you're sending that to the kid's family. Yeah, that's worrying as well. So you have got this kid with all this shit. He needs help. That motherfucker needs help. Because if he doesn't get help, he's going to probably brush shoulders with some other fucked up kids in detention. And he's just going to spiral into some bullshit. That, you, there's, that's a fact. You know what I mean? There's evidence of that shit. So, I don't know. Needs to be addressed, but it's not talked about. It's very worrying. Very very worrying well man it's been a good day 
I, I took a visit to um, the Tate Britain and um, checked out some exhibitions. So the plan was to, um, man, I think the plan, the plan was to do Van Gogh and, um, yeah, no, no, also the, um, France, France Liz McGuion Sleepless, um, that was the initial plan, so, um, yeah, Went to check out the Franz Liz McGuin, uh exhibition. Um, she's a Glaswegian um, based artist who predominantly works with painting to create fluid works that spill from the canvas onto the gallery walls, floors and ceiling. Uh, she was born in 1983. Um, in her work, McGurn draws on a collected archive of found imagery to create figurative installations which express notions of sexuality, ecstasy, loss and consciousness. The new body of work presented in Sleepless explores the experience of living in a city as one that is intimate and inherently sexual. The exhibition title itself evokes key themes in McGurn's work, including partying, dreaming, longing, motherhood, nostalgic popular culture, recalling the 1993 romantic comedy Sleepless in Seattle, working intuitively rather than through direct appropriation. McGurn uses swift brushstrokes and repeated marks to create loose associations about place and history, inviting viewers to conjure their own narrative. Um, yeah, so this was a free exhibition, um, and it just, it sounded interesting, so yeah, we, we thought we'd go and look at that. Um, to be honest as well, it, it was just from looks, you know, rather than reading the blurb. So, I, I don't know what was expected when we walked into the room. But, um, it, it was crazy because, yeah, like, I don't think, we didn't know that the work kind of wasn't just confined to the canvas. So, you, you, it, it was in one of the smaller rooms of the Tate Britain, and yeah, you just had this work that was just all over the place, you know, going up the walls, like all the way up the walls as well, so just not a little bit off canvas, yeah, it's like in huge swathes, this work is just all over the place, and, and it, and yeah, it was just captivating, and the, the so the big thing is like, her forms, then it's not like they're lifelike, you know, anatomically, they're not exactly that of a human body, the proportions and stuff like that, but there's this, um, 
I think there's just something in the way she puts it together. There's something in the stroke work that breathes life into the work, you know. So it, it doesn't make you question that the proportions are wrong or anything like that. You're looking at a woman or a guy. So we're seeing this and then it's the colours that are used as well. So I think if this was just say she just used one or two colours and I I think as well if they were darker colours the work just wouldn't work. Just wouldn't work. But because she uses like these pastel bright kind of happy, cheerful colours, that just transforms everything, it really does, so now you're looking at this, this space, this white space that has been transformed with these figures and these scenes of like um debauchery, like, now don't get me wrong, it's not the botry like a Francis Bacon, but it's just these bodies intertwined, intertwined, having fun with each other, in each other, and it just makes you happy to see, you know, you're just looking at this work, and you, you can't help but smile, and that's the big thing, you can't help but smile, and just, yeah, just walk around and just let it wash over you, you know, just be happy you've had a chance to see all of this, and it, and it's nice the way that you have some, in some places, a smaller canvas, and then the main work is on the wall itself, and it's just like, yeah, it's great, it it, it really, you know, it just worked, like, and another crazy thing as well, like, the imagery is, is 2D, it's all 2D, and there's, and it's not even done in a way that kind of makes you go, oh, yeah, you, like, you can see extra depth, it's, it's not, but you see extra depth, that's the thing, it's just like, yeah, I, I think it's the configuration, I think it's the colour, I think it's just the strokes, and the, the strokes that are chosen to be used, that make, make it all just come to life, it's just, um, yeah, it's a really nice little exhibition that is well worth seeing, it, it's just, yeah, really, really good, um, so, yeah, I, I would, I would say go see it, you know, um, yeah, so, I, I think it's gonna be shown in Cambridge and Glasgow next year, so, hey, I would say, listen, if you, if it comes to a city near you, 
definitely go check out McGurn's work because it will cheer you up, it will make you smile, it will make you happy. That for sure. Definitely, definitely that. So after the McGurn, we were wandering around, um, making our way to Van Gogh, and we stumbled on Frank Bowling. And yeah, I think we looked at the time and just thought, yeah, we got time. Why not? Let's go see this. So we went to, um, yeah, we went to check out um, Frank Bowling's first major retrospectives of his, of his life. Um, so on the on the tape website it says this right this exhibition offers a chance to experience the entirety of bowling's 60-year career it showcases his sensual use of color and bold experimentation born in guyana at the time it was still british guyana in 1934 at 19 years old bowling moved to london he went on to study painting at the Royal College of Art alongside David Hockney and R.B. Kitcher. After graduating with a silver medal, he spent the next 60 years crisscrossing the Atlantic between studios in London and New York, maturing into a master of his medium. He developed a visionary approach that fuses abstraction with personal memories. Now 85, he still paints every day, experimenting with new materials and techniques. The exhibition brings together a lifetime of large-scale artworks. It includes key series such as the iconic map paintings, the visually asserting poured paintings made by pouring paint down an, inc an inclined surface and sculpturing paintings of the 1980s, evoking riverbeds all the way to mature work selected from a recent period of explosive productivity. Ah, uh, yeah, this was fascinating. It really was fascinating and just great being able to see just this work and just the, the varied nature of the work and the vastness. It's there's a lot of his stuff is on these huge camp canvases. So you have this huge kind of just image that kind of speaks to you because it's very abstract so you're just looking at it getting lost thinking god damn it man yeah that reminds me of and then you have that conversation and it's like yo what did that say to you and it's something completely different which is just always fascinating and great like there was one one period where he was use he was using a screen print of um the house he grew up in 
and um, he was putting that on a lot of different canvases and there was one that was really nice and so um, yeah it was it was that screen print and then underneath he took an image from um, uh, I think it was UK Vogue think it was from UK Vogue and it, and it was a Japanese I believe it was a Japanese lady um and so he painted that image underneath and then you just had you know like these other bold lines of paint in between and around and that piece is I love that piece it's just great it really works because it's kind of like the image of the house is like you know that's from the past right and then this image of the girl was from the 80s i, I think it's the or the 60s you know it might have been the 60s actually but it was just like the past and then it was like this this current present at the time and, and yeah it just it's a great piece it's a really great piece it just kind of it just works man you know uh but then you you look at a lot of the other stuff that really isn't as kind of clear cut as that it's just these just huge swathes of color intertwined with other color and you're just looking at it and it's just like this crazy kaleidoscope you know it's it's funny as well because um uh, you know it's hard because all this all the like it's hard to read all the information um because it, some of it's very small and the bigger bits Right, you can read it, but it's slow going. And when there's a lot of people around, and you're like, I, I'll, I'll wait, I'll leave it. But um, you know, I was, so I was looking at this series of stuff, and I'm like, oh, I think there's a there's a map. That's where I can see a country. And um, yeah, so I I spoke to um, yeah, my girl, and I was like, um. Yo, is that Africa? Is that but it was South America. Which, you know, when you think like they do kind of look a little similar. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting seeing that within like these images. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Because it's just like it's there, but it's not prominent so you think sometimes you think wait did i just see that or or not then there's this these other paintings like there's this great one and it's um like uh oranges and yellows and red and it's kind of like this fiery kind of piece and it looks like you can see someone's face it looks like you can see a guy's head and face in the image um 
But yeah, it's just like, oh, am I seeing that? Is that right? But it's great. But um, I think one of the things is like, I think it's some of the more subtler pieces that, you know, really spoke to me. Like, not so much the brighter pieces. It's the more subdued work. Because you, you kind of feel like... Some of the subdued pieces... Yeah, I could definitely have that in the house. You know, I could wake up and look at that. The brighter pieces are great in a gallery. But you're just like, oh, yeah, that'd be a bit too much to have in the house. You know what I mean? But, yeah, it, it's just these this work and it's like there's also this period that he had where he was working on smaller canvases which was really interesting because we're getting these huge ideas now compressed down and then there's this really there there was this point where he was taking smaller canvases and then connecting them all together so where I think each small canvas on its own, it doesn't really do anything. But when you connect them all together and he used different colours in the border of the connection. So now we have this huge kind of Voltron piece which now really works it really kind of speaks to you in this kind of hickledy pickledy hodgepodge way which is fascinating because yeah on their own the pieces don't really do anything but when they come together even though a lot of times there's not really any connectivity between them it just creates this new piece that's just so fascinating. It, yeah, it's a re- it was a really good exhibition to go see. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It it was really it was really fun. It was really great. Um, went to go and check out the Van Gogh, but um, that was insane. That was so damn busy. It was crazy. So, you know, we we went and we took a libation. You know what I mean? Had a little chat. Talked. Thought about what we're going to do the rest of the day. Um, and then came back. Um, and it looked like it was empty. There's like the queue. No queues outside. So it's like awesome. Went in. Oh my god, it was so busy inside. So busy inside. So, yeah, that had to take a quick pass. Because it just couldn't get close to any images. Couldn't get close. So it just wasn't going to work. But hopefully, um, yeah, I will make a visit and check it out. Because um, it's open until the 11th of August. You know, so, um, yeah. I think I'll, I'll probably have a, a, an opportunity to go check out that on another time. Um, but yes, this visit was just 
Yeah, it was Franz Liz McGurn and then Frank Bolin. But hey, that was a great enough visit. Had a lot of fun. We thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. It was just great just soaking in the art. So, um, hey, an enjoyable time at the Tate Britain, for sure. Okay, so, um, yeah, just had a UFC 240 uh, from Rogers Place, Edmonton, Canada. And it was a good card. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, you can get the full breakdown on this week's bonus chin check episode. Um, but... Uh, I think some of the fights that were really, yeah, kind of interesting. You had Jeff Neal against Nico Price, which was just a crazy fight for um, about one and a half rounds. Man, they it was back and forth. I think they hurt each other. But... Neil eventually got the TKO win with some vicious ground and pound on Price. But that was a good fight. It's a really good fight. Possibly an early stoppage, but uh, there was a lot of heavy fight, a lot of heavy punches thrown that just were unanswered. So there wasn't much the referee could do. Um, Chris Cyborg against Felicia Spencer. Yo, this was not the fight that anyone expected. It really wasn't. Went all three rounds. And Felicia Spencer is one tough friggin' chick. God damn it. She ate some punches, man. She ate some punches, but never once was phased. That's how crazy it was. Never once was phased, man. Just kept on coming forward. And she, like, she cut, cut Cyborg. You know what I mean? Landed some good punches. I think gave her a bloody nose. You know what I mean? She landed, man. But, like, Spencer just doesn't have that concussive power. And that was the problem. To really do anything against Cyborg, you kind of need to be able to stop her in her tracks, give her a punch that makes her think, and unfortunately, Spencer wasn't able to do that, but yeah, it was, she put up a tremendous performance, um, main, main fight, Holloway v Edgar, you know, we've been waiting for this, you know, seeing, could Frankie, Win another title in another division, you know. That was that was a thing because we've seen him do it at lightweight. He was lightweight king for a good while, and dropping down to featherweight, he's kind of always been in the mix, but just never been able to do it. So, you know, going into this fight, it's just like, yo, I think this is gonna be his last opportunity. For um, for that gold, you know, and you kind of felt that I think Holloway probably had more tools. Probably had more tools. The one thing that Edgar did have was the takedowns. So would he be able to take um take Holloway down 
and do damage? That was the big question. And uh, yeah, I, I, I finally got answered. The answer was no. Yeah, Frankie, he wasn't able to really impose his will. Um, Holloway, Holloway just looked a lot sharper in there. I mean, Frankie did land punches. I do feel some of that was because the um, Holloway lowered his stance. So he lowered his stance, which I think gave Edgar the opportunity to do work. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it was all about Holloway. And I don't believe he lost a round. I don't. I just, I definitely, some rounds were close, but I think Holloway won every round, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good performance. Although I don't, it did seem that he didn't step into first gear. I I don't know why, but I think there was an opportunity to stop Edgar, but yeah, he just didn't seem to. Didn't seem to be able to get to that next that next level we've seen him go to. Um, but I think probably next Alexander Volkanovsky. Big question is where? Where will it be? Is it going to be on the Whitaker Adesanya card? Could it be um, the Madison Garden card? Where is this fight going to take place? And... Um, you know, does Holloway make it out of this fight with no injuries? Because I mean, he looked like he did, but you never know, right? So yeah, I guess it's gonna um, be a wait and see. Find out what happens next. But next week, people, it's UFC on ESPN five. Colby Covington against Robbie Lawler. So yeah, gonna be a good fight. Oh, and um, Mickey Gall's back, and so is Anton Antonio Shevchenko. So it'll be um interesting to see how both of those fighters do after um defeats in their last fights. So yeah, I think this should be another good card. And uh, yeah, next week we'll um we'll give you a little taste of that. But um, if you want the full breakdown. Go check out Chin Check, right? Okay, so this week, this week is a bit like last week because, um, yeah, decided to jump on something a bit late. Um, yeah, I was scratching my mind what to watch, and I thought, you know what? Let me try this Bojack Horseman that people keep telling me about. So I, that's what <laughs> that's exactly what I did. Uh, so it's an adult animated comedy thing on Netflix. It was created by um, Raphael Bob Waxberg, um, and he works on the show with cartoonist Lisa Hannah Walt. Um, yeah, it see the first season. This is how late I am. First season came out in August 2014. Yeah, and um, 
it's now got five and a sixth season is coming soon. All right, so the premise of the show is this. Um, it, it basically takes place in Hollywood um, in an alternate world where humans and anopromethic animals live side by side. Bojack Horseman, the washed-up star of the 90s sitcom Horsing Around, planned his big return to celebrity revelance with a tell-all autobiography to be written by his ghostwriter, Diana Nugent. Bojack also has to contend with the demands of his agent and on-again, off-again girlfriend, Princess Caroline, the misguided antics of his freeloading roommate, Todd Chavez, and his friend and rival, Mr. Peanut Butter. Uh, it's got a, you know, it's got a big cast. Will Annette is Bojack. Um, Amy Sedaris is Princess Caroline. Uh, Alison Brie is Diane Nugent. Paul F. Tompkins is Mr. Peanut Butter. And um, Aaron Paul is Todd Chavez. So, um... Yeah, season one is is twelve episodes, and um, it is strange. <laughs> it, it like I don't know. To be honest, you know, I didn't read into any of it. I just heard about the show. People kept telling me it's hilarious. So yeah, I I watched. I, I decided to check it out, and um, yeah, it's not what I expected. You know, because it's. Kind of like it's a dark show, really. If if you think about it, you know, it, it's it's dealing with this wash up actor, um, who's trying to you know, kind of sort his life out, um, yeah, and it, it, it's something that you know we see a lot. You know, a child actor, not a child actor, but an actor from a sitcom, a big sitcom. And then that's kind of it. Everything kind of dries up for them after a lot of um, run-ins in the press, as it were. Um, So, yeah, it's a story that kind of we have seen. So it's interesting kind of seeing it from this perspective, you know, Um but yeah, so we see this and yeah, he's trying to kind of get acting roles, you know, make that big film, trying to find love and all of this kind of stuff. And yeah, it doesn't really pull any punches. We we see it all, which is, uh, yeah, not, I didn't expect that, you know, like, we're seeing, you know, like, essentially, Bojack is depressed. And we're seeing the ups and downs of his depression. You know, like, he thinks maybe he's onto something and then it falls through and then he sinks deeper into it. Like, there's an episode where he sabotages a friend because he doesn't want to be lonely. 
you know, so it's, it's just like this crazy shit that we're seeing, you know, like, um, he's got a very self-destructive kind of attitude, but like, yeah, he could succeed in things, but he seems to always get a bit afraid and fuck shit up, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy, there's a lot of addiction, you know, pills and sex and all of this stuff that we're seeing, and it's just getting dealt with, but the thing I liked is that it's not shying away from any of this shit, you know, it, it's just giving it to you, unapologetically, which is good, because, yeah, I think that's what's needed, and it doesn't, like, episodes don't end with this, you know, bullshit happy ending, you know, that we kind of get force-fed a lot, so that, yeah, I mean, because it's good, because it's just like, yeah, sometimes shit doesn't work out, right, sometimes we fall fat on our faces, you know, like, you can try as hard as you want, you can want, you know, like, this dream, but, hey, it doesn't always happen, no matter how much effort you put into it, and that's one thing that it kind of shows, which, yeah, I think that, that, that's good, it's got, like, the, the, you know, a lot of fickle attachments that we see, you know, like, people thinking they're in love, and, yeah, just all of this kind of stuff, which is kind of, um, yeah, crazy and weird, but we see it, so I think I find that good. Um, it is a bit. It is a bit hit a miss for me. Like where I I did find it interesting. Like I wouldn't say it's caught me. You know. Like I don't know if I'm gonna check any more out. To be honest Maybe I will But I Yeah I'm not like I have to watch the next episode Now It's not Yeah It hasn't got me like that Like it was okay I appreciated what I saw But that's kind of about it Like some episodes were a lot better than others For sure And I did really appreciate the fact that it's dealing with social issues, you know, um, and it's not trying to be all politically correct and all of this bullshit, you know, it, it, it's just swinging for the fences, it, it, it's trying to be funny, like, does it always hit? No, but I appreciate the fact that it's trying, um, I, like, one of the big things that is just odd, though, it's just odd, like, because, yeah, it's got horses, and it's got a dog, and all of this, like, Bojack has sex with human women, a dog, yo, Mr. Peanut Butter is, is, like, doing, um, Diane Nugent, who's Bojack's ghostwriter, it's just a bit weird, it's a bit weird seeing all this bestiality, you know what I mean, I ain't gonna lie, it's a bit like, huh, what, 
You know what I mean? Is it wasn't this an episode of Jerry Springer? I what the fuck am I watching here? You you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, it's weird. It's an odd thing. Um, <laughs> I'm like, listen, if if it was damn right hilarious, hey, that that's probably not gonna stop me watching it. But you know, I chuckle every now and again. Uh, that's about it. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what this means going forward. Like, I don't know. I guess if you like, I would say, probably if you're, I if 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 you're probably a South Bank fan, a South Bank, a South Park fan. If you like stuff like that, because I'm not a big South Park fan. I don't really like The Simpsons. You know what I mean? That that kind of stuff. And um, what's the one in space? Futurama, that's it. I think Futurama. I believe so. Yes. Yeah, I think if you're a fan of all of that kind of Pallavi, then I think you'd be all on this. I think this is your jam. But yeah, I'm not sure if it's mine. But, people, there's five friggin' seasons. Five seasons, 12 episodes a season. That's 60 episodes, right? Yeah. Boom. Killing it on the maths. Boom. Yes. Yeah, so... And they're there. They're on Netflix. So that's a lot of shit you can just get down watching while waiting for the new friggin' season of Rick and Morty to hit in bloody November. Oy. You know? But, um, yeah. So that's Bojack Horseman. It's on Netflix. It's um, animals and humans getting up to shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> okay, people. So this week's book is Half a World Away, which is the new book from uh, Mike Gale. It's narrated by Joanna Brooks and Kay Ush. Uh, so the, the gist of the book is this. Kerry Hayes is a single mum living on a tough South London estate. She provides for her son by cleaning houses she could never hope to afford. Taken into care as a child, Kerry cannot ever forget her past. Noah, Noah Martinu is a successful barrister with a beautiful wife, daughter and home in fashionable Primrose Hill. Adopted as a child, Noah always looks forward, never back. When Kerry reaches out to the siblings she lost on the day they were torn apart as children, she sets in motion a chain of events that will have life-changing consequences for them both. Now, uh, this is this is a tricky one for me, I feel. Um, like, so, the book, as look, as you just heard in that little description, the book deals with adoption. And, like, the way people then act from that. And 
yeah i guess i don't know like you know to uh, aim to break it down right so i was adopted as a kid you know i don't know my birth i wouldn't even call them parents they're just fucking dna donors <laughs> you know what i mean those scumbags who uh yeah anyway 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 um so look look i think yeah there was things in the book that i was just a bit that's so simplistic you know what i mean that's no it's not as you it's not as clear cut as that and like why would your reaction to it be that you know, like, so there's, like, situations that are depicted and things that are said that just really seemed foreign to me, you know what I mean, it didn't, like, I didn't feel that that was kind of like, a, uh, for me, like a fair description of it, or, like, you know, because of this, your actions are now this, and don't get me wrong, right, so, yes, I guess it must depend on, I think, the, the nature of your adoption, you know, so, I could definitely see it, how it would affect Kerry in a different way to Noah, but then Noah, when he was, like, taken into care, he's, like, I don't believe he was even two yet, and, yeah, You've got all these people that go, oh, I remember when I was one and a half and we all went to, I call you that a load of bullshit. You don't remember that. You remember being told this is what happened. But, yeah, I don't buy, like, these fucking people when they're telling you, oh, yeah, I remember when I was six months old. And blah, blah, blah. No, you've been told that numerous times so now you kind of passing that off as your own memory so it's to then say Noah he's acting on these things because of the the, the, the incidents that happened I'm like oh, yeah no I don't buy that now look if he had looked into the issue then that could fuck you up for sure you know to read about like these things and stuff like that yeah for sure that could get you but you know it, it, it's just like you know the way we're told like his adopted his parents have told him yeah you've been adopted which you know is it's not brain science when, like, you're a black kid growing up in a white household. You kind of work that out all on your own. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, no one had to be like, yo, Karen, I think you were adopted. Be like, no, nah, I kind of worked that shit out on the giddy up, son. So... Yeah, there's a lot of things that happen in this book that I was just a bit like, mm, I don't know about that. I'm not buying that. And uh, like, but I think, look, and don't get me wrong, 
I definitely think not everyone has the same experience, right? So my experience growing up is completely different to one of my friends and the way she grew up. She grew up in Bristol. So it's a bit like, oh, that's interesting, man. But I'm I'm glad. I'm very glad that she grew up in the way she grew up. So, you know what I mean? Look, I understand that it's different, but I do think that possibly it's just like, yo, you know what I mean? This kind of, this topic has kind of put me on a defensive um, footing. So, my liking of this book I don't think it's, it's probably, you know what I mean, if it, I wouldn't say it's, it'd be the norm, I, I think other people probably have a completely different reaction to the book, um, but yeah, like, I thought it, it was okay, but for, there was a lot of things that happened in the book that were just like, it just seemed that's very predictable, like, you know what I mean, having Carrie, you know, live on a council estate, she didn't, she, you know, she didn't graduate from school, so she's got no real qualification, she's a cleaner, and look, there's nothing wrong with being a cleaner, but you've kind of then put the character in a certain place, right, then to have Noah, you know, grew up in a in a nice neighborhood. Yo, homie's living in Primrose Hill now, which we all know is a nice part of town. You know, he's a barrister. So you've then framed it like, oh, and he's this. And also you've done that flip as well. So the white kid is the one in the shit, black kid is the one in the affluence. So you've done that, but I'm just like, by doing that, the story is very, we've seen that story, we've read that story, it's not new, you know what I mean? So then all the situations, you can pretty much kind of guess a lot of the stuff that comes from that, which just... I was just a bit disappointed in that, for me, it was just, it then just becomes a bit easy in, in the way you're then talking, you know, the narrative, it's just a bit like, eh, you know, it could have been a bit tougher, it could have been a bit more complex, this is just a bit too simple, you know, you framed it in this simple way, then you've got, like, Noah's marriage, and, like, there's is the issues in his marriage around his adoption. Well, that's, see, this is, and this is the weird thing, right? So, this is what we're told. We're told it, the, every, everything about the marriage is great, but he doesn't open up about the adoption. That's the one thing it said. Everything else is fine. It's just the adoption he doesn't open up about. But then, later on, it's like he doesn't open up about anything. And it's a bit like, well, that's a change. You, you, you know what I mean, you've just done a 180 there on what you've said, but with these issues, you know where the, the this situation is going, like, you know where it's going, 
You know, you just know where it's going. So that's just a bit like, ah, I see the blueprint of this book. You know what I mean? And I just thought that was a that was a shame because I don't want to know what's going to happen from the giddy up. You know, I, I want to be surprised. I want the nuances in the story. But they weren't really there in this. Like, everything is just black and white. And even when they're trying to go, oh, look, there's nuance here. It's n- No, it's not. That's not nuance. That's just more black and white shit. Right? When I say black and white, I'm not saying... Understand it's not, I'm not saying the racial, I'm just saying the simplicity of things. So you have that, and it's all a bit like, uh, I see. And I think some of the stuff with Kerry just seems a bit over the top as well. You know, like in her reaction to things with Noah and all of that, just seems a little OTT, which, uh. I don't know, maybe I'm broken, uh, like attachments and all of that, it's all a bit odd, right, it's all a bit odd, but, um, yeah, yeah, like, I just thought, look, you, you know how this is going to end, even though it's going in a certain direction, I know how it's going to end, like, I know where um, everything is moving here, which is just a bit, ah, god damn it, man, why are you doing it like this, it really kind, like, the kind of conceit of it reminded me of an old film, um, oh gosh, what was it called, My Life Without Me, that's the film, um, it had, like, a Sarah Polly, Amanda Palmer, and Scott Speedman in it, yeah, 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 so there's, yeah, there's elements of that film that I kind of see in this book, um, but yeah, it's just like these situations and everything like that, like the writing is fine, and the narration, I like the narration, it's good that we've got both voices being heard, um, the voice of Keon, irritating as fuck. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'll say that. Uh, but yes, it's it's just yeah, it is it's it's very like it's just a bit too simple. I think it's a bit too simple for the subject matter. I mean. Yeah, but, like, yes, is that me and my ghost speaking here? Do you know what I mean? Like, am I, be, am I, like, defensive on this matter? I don't know. So what I will say is, if you're a fan of Mike Gale's books, right? If you enjoy his writing, then, um... Yeah, like, I'd say this is probably something that you would want to check out, you know, because, like, Brand New Friend, I really enjoyed that, 
I really enjoyed Brand New Friend. Um, like a lot of the other film books, like Turning Forty, Turning Thirty, um, Wish You Were Here, The To Do List. I I enjoyed those stories, but this one, yeah, this one is just a little problematic for me. But I'd say, look, if you like his writing, if you like the other stories, then check out uh, Half a World Away. Okay? Okay, people. So, we are reaching the end of another episode. So, we're going to do a little TV news and then ba-ba-bounce. Alright, so first up, Amazon is developing a TV series adaptation of the 2018 sci-fi film Fast Color. Um, the film followed three generations of black women, Ruth, her mum Bo, and Ruth's daughter Leela. At the centre of an original science fiction world. Um, now the TV series will follow Ruth. Who's a former drug addict. And runaway. Who returns home and rediscovers. That the special powers she thought she lost. Powers that her family have long kept hidden from the public. Three generations of black women reconnect and as they learn more about themselves and the generations who came before, they begin to realise that one of them could save the world. So, um, yeah, that, that's been developed by um, Viola Davis and Jules Tenon's Juvie Productions. Uh, no, um, no date on when it will uh, when it will hit, but um, Julia Hart and Jordan Horwitz are gonna be writing the pilot, and um, Hart is gonna be directing. Okay, so um, HBO and the BBC are um, currently promoting their adaptation of Philip Pullman's His Dark Material series. Now, um, as people probably know, the book series is free. Um, but this, this new adaptation is just going to run for two series of eight episodes each. Which is like... Hmm, how is that going to work, right? Yeah, that's the big question. So, um, Jane Tranter and Jack Thorne um, spoke about this recently. And, they, you know, they said this, right? As the, the key reason for making it two seasons of eight episodes each. We have children in the show who, as we all know, grow up very quickly. They don't look the same 12 months later, and yet Lyra Balakuk, now Lyra Silvertongue, is the same age. 
So we had to find a way of turning the piece around quite quickly in order to allow the story to be told. There is a great thing in his dark materials of a girl going through puberty and we wanted to be able to pace that story out age appropriately. And so that's why we went, everyone, HBO and the BBC went with us for 16 episodes. Um, uh, but then another kind of thing is that I come, you know, they're, they're going to, the, the first season's going to follow the first book, which then means the second season, so the, the final eight episodes, have to mesh book two and three together. So, yeah, it, it, it's going to be an interesting an interesting thing I, I i don't really know how it's gonna work but um yeah supposedly that's what's gonna happen so we can see i mean all we can hope is it's gonna be better than the golden compass because that was not good <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um yeah i mean this one does sound promising um because so we've got um Daphne Keane is playing Lyra, James McAvoy is Uncle Azriel, um Lynn Manuel Miranda is Lee Scoresby. Um and if I remember rightly, Lee Scoresby is the polar bear. So uh yeah. I mean, that that all seems decent in the cast in front. So yeah, we we will wait and see because it's coming out later in this year. Um, finally, um, so with the whole Disney Plus thing, it was revealed that Hulu was going to um be pushing more like content. So they're going to be creating more content. And I think one of the first things from that is that they're going to be um, adapting Douglas Adams' uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, yeah. Interesting. Because we've had so many iterations of this. Because if you think, it's, so it started as a, a radio series. It then became the book series. Then we had a TV series. And then they tried the film. And I like the film. You know what I mean? Martin Freeman, Most Deaf, Alan Rickman. The film was good. But yeah, it, it didn't go anywhere. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We will have to see um, what happens with this. Uh, Carlton Coose um, and Jason Fooch are... Uh, Behind this adaptation, um, yeah. So we'll we'll have to see what happens, but hopefully, the uh, adventures of Arthur Dent do make it to TV, and we get the whole thing, not just one season. But yes, people, that is it for another episode. Um, yeah, see you next Wednesday. All right? Peace.
scenario. Watch as I combine all the juice from the mind. Heal up, wheel up, bring it back, come rewind. Powerful impact, boom, from the cannon. Now bragging, try to read my mind, just imagine. Vocabulary's necessary when 